0: Who thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our thirsty podcast here on the Raised with Jesus podcast. Uh, we are Jeremy Lightman and my co-host here is Zipper, and uh, today our guest is Pastor Paul Horn. Uh, welcome, Pastor Horn. Thank you.
1: So one of the things Paul is to ask, you know, where. Have you served in the ministry? where I think what's interesting is where did you first serve in the ministry?
2: <laughs> you know the answer to that question because I followed I you. Yeah. So I was assigned to Faith Lutheran Church in Radcliffe, Kentucky, uh, which is five minutes from the main gate of Fort Knox, which at that time was the home of armor and cav for the army, among other things, there's basic training there. Um, and then over, over the years that I served there, the third brigade, uh, combat team came in, uh, during that surge in Afghanistan. So we had a influx of troops, um, we were in a storefront and then bought land and then built a church. And then I left. Uh, so it was, yeah, we were, I was there for 10 years and then. Except oh, before, there, yeah, oh, yeah. before, we we get go to, ahead.
1: before we go, Yeah. I just wanted to, to kind of riff on being at faith and Radcliffe because it is unique that I was there as the first pastor and, Uh you know, is there in a storefront, you know, what was that like ministry in a storefront next to, uh, what was it? It was a Korean gift shop. Oh yeah. A Korean gift shop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What was it like in a, in a storefront back then? It was rough. Um, We started, I remember there was
2: 25 people, that were coming to church on Sunday morning, and when you were out in the community and inviting people to come or encouraging your members to invite them to come, and you tell them where you were located, across from the BP gas station on Wilson Road, they'd be like, "Oh, isn't that a storefront?" And immediately they they were like, "That's not a that's not a real church. You're not here for the long term." So it was tough. Um, and yeah. with
1: Oh, yeah, I, I was there. I was there with for for ten years, or for eight years, and then, uh, you know, before the Korean gift shop was there, it was a pawn shop, so that was even <laughs> weirder. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, and it wasn't uh, Radcliffe in that area was not an attractive place at all. And, and then trying to get people to come, like you said, to a to a storefront, and they're already transitory yeah being in the military over. yeah and then yeah, they come and- to come to a place that is also very transitory you know it looks transitory because you don't have a permanent building
2: yeah yeah that's exactly right and most of the troops that came through there were there for like captain's career course was there um and then if you're there for armor or cab you were just there for training, so you like families that would come through would be there for maybe a year and a half to three years. And then they would PCS to another duty station. So that was hard uh, to, to build that core. Um, and then in 2008, when the economy went down the toilet, we were called, we had a, I remember getting the phone call from my mission board chairman at the time. And he said, Hey, we have to, you got we gotta drop subsidy with you guys. Cause we just don't have the money. Um, and we had just hired an architect. And so we brought this to the congregation and, and they said, no, we're going to keep going. Um, Cause our, our community wasn't hit too bad by that recession in 2008, because of Fort Knox, uh, we had some economic stability there, but so we, we went through with the plans and I think by the time, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, but by the time we moved out, we were worshiping 90 on Sunday morning in that little storefront. We even had to knock walls out um, just to get enough chairs in there, and so that was that was fun.
1: Yeah, I I talk about that time, you know, that I wanted to be the guy that built the church, but I always felt like I was David, <laughs> I wanted to build the church and the temple, and then it was left to Solomon. So you were like the Solomon, <laughs> following me, that you were the right guy to do that. So Jeremy.
0: So- well so if i Paul, if I could follow up on that um how many yeah, wives do you yeah. have?
2: just one okay one, just one, and I do not have the wisdom of Solomon just far yeah. from it. <laughs> I tell my purdue kids that uh um so here in indiana we 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 do campus ministry, and my purdue kids are just so brilliant like I ask them like what do you what do you do in class and um they very politely try to explain it in simple terms. I'm just completely lost. I'm like, you guys are way smarter than I am. Yeah, but pastor, you know, Greek and Hebrew. I'm like, yeah, so what? You guys are, <laughs> you guys are like sending rockets to the moon and saving lives and stuff. So anyway,
0: keep going.
1: Yeah, uh, Michael, uh, how many giants have you killed? Well, pretty much everyone is taller than me. So there's that. I don't know if I've actually killed anyone though, but thanks for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so where was, yeah where did you go after fort knox then yeah
2: so uh we had built the church uh i think we were in there for a year and a half maybe it was a year and a half and we had we had good leadership we had uh we were strong financially we had a good ministry plan um and i I don't know. It was, I was at that stage where I felt like I had done what God needed me to do there. And this call from Georgia came. Um, and so I took, I accepted that call. And so I was in, uh, Paulding County, Georgia, which is Northwest of Atlanta, suburb of Atlanta. And I was there for five years and then, um, received the call here to, to, uh, Lafayette and accepted that in february of 2019 we
1: moved so what is uh, what's it like there because you're uh, you're one of the you're one of our mission churches in our southeast wisconsin district and then so you've got mission church you just got a vicar and mission setting you've got the campus ministry so uh and you were in a storefront right we were were, yeah so so uh, i should explain explain to our listeners what you know, the ministry is like in the mission field there in West Lafayette. Yeah. So I I loved it so much that I took a
2: call from Atlanta, Georgia to Lafayette, Indiana, back to a storefront. i just, I could not get enough of those storefront churches. (laughs)
1: Jeremy, have you ever been in a storefront?
0: I mean, have I been? uh, Yes, I'm sure I've been inside of storefronts.
1: Um, in <laughs> the storefront church, have you <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> uh, in the storefront actually,
0: church? actually, uh, when I was a vicar, I think it was that I, I did guest preach at a storefront church, uh, um, in uh, South of Madison area, Madison, Wisconsin, but anyway, that's that.
2: Okay. <laughs> it, so previous pastor was Nick Schmoller, who accepted a call to Martin Luther College in Duom? David Starr, who had been at Martin Luther College, accepted the call to Georgia to replace me. So we had this nice little triangle going on. All the spots were filled. Um, I, so when I got here in 2019, the church already had property south of town of about 10 acres. And um, the leadership team said, you know, we'll wait a little bit, let you get settled. Uh, before we commenced with the building project. And I had taken the mayor out for lunch. And then he introduced me to a county commissioner and a city planner. And we just kind of talked about the growth of the city, where it was going. And he's like, I don't know who told you that the city was growing that way, but it's not, it's going this other direction. And then we interviewed some general contractors and they said, Hey, if you're going to build on this property, these are all the things that you're going to need to do as far as site site work goes and we added up those dollars and it was just an insane amount of money. Like we can't do this. So we, we listed it in 2020, sold it in three days. And then I think it was like three months later, this church, a reformed Presbyterian church called me and said, Hey, we heard you're looking for an existing facility. We've all grown our church, our building, and we'd like to sell to you. And this was March of 2020. Um, Right when everything was starting to shut down, but we toured the facility and we're like, you know, we could probably make this work. And um, CEF, our uh, church extension fund with the Wisconsin Synod, our, our bank, they weren't writing loans that summer. We had to wait until the fall to get all the paperwork together. Anyway, we were able to move in last May and we pay less for our mortgage than we paid for our rent and storefront at storefront. So God was really good to us. Um, we have seven acres, we have 7,000 square feet of finished basement, and we are eight minute, an eight-minute drive from Purdue's campus. And then two miles west of us down here is a elementary school, middle school, and a high school. So we have a ton of traffic going past our church every day. So it's a great location. County commissioner said there is a lot of growth coming out this way in West Lafayette. So this is a good, good place to be. So we have a, a permanent home.
1: There you That's go. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I was able to visit that in my role, the mission board. And I remember one of the pictures that you shared uh, when you first got that land and your outdoor worship service. And I love that picture because it, it was cold that day, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. We, had a, <laughs> we went to a, a state park, which is like five minutes from my church. And like, let's go to the state park. We'll have an outdoor service and have a cookout afterwards. And it was cold and rainy. Uh, We were under a shelter and we even had brass instruments and we had violins to lead us in the singing of the hymns. And those poor brass players were just, um, they were having a rough time (laughs) because it was so cold and rainy out there. But we had like 50 people show up uh, for the outdoor service. It was, it was fun.
0: Hello, uh, Jeremy. You're on mute right now. Sorry, there was uh, somebody that sounded like they were going to come in my classroom here, and I wanted to make sure that was on mute. So, apologize about that. Um, I was just saying that I think um, if there are listeners that are trying to keep track, I'm just trying to keep track that that's three congregations that you've been at. Correct. Seminary. Yes. And. Um, how big is your family? Do you have, do you have kids? How, are, how old are your kids?
2: Yes. So my, my wife, Becky, and I, we met at Martin Luther College. Uh, we have five children. Our oldest is 20. Uh, we Our second oldest, is, and he doesn't live in the home anymore, our second oldest uh, is a freshman at Martin Luther College, and he's in the pastor track, and he wants to pursue that with an emphasis in music. Now we have two girls at or two daughters at Luther Prep School in Watertown, Wisconsin, a junior and a sophomore. And then Henry is our youngest and he's in eighth grade. Um, so we just have one at home and our our dog, who is just a year and a half old. So what kind? it is she is a mini Aussie Doodle. And uh, we have never owned a dog before, and the kids have been begging for years. And I finally, they finally broke me. Um, and so we have, we have this dog and I said, I, we can't get dogs cause I'm super allergic. And they're like, but dad, they have these hypoallergenic dogs. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, but they didn't tell me you have to pay big bucks for those.
0: <laughs>
2: so one of the COVID, one of the COVID checks paid for
0: uh, or stimulus check, whatever you want to call them, paid for Hazel. That's funny. Dog, I- my my brother has one of those, and that yeah, that's that's kind of a process to to get them. But um, what have, uh, what have your how has your family been with uh, the different moves? Has there been a place that they especially thrived or that they didn't like as much uh, with all the places that you've been? Yeah, great question.
2: Uh Kentucky obviously was hard to leave because that was our. Uh, as another older, wiser pastor once told me, it's your it's your first love, and you just never forget that uh, that place that you you cried and laughed and uh, you just poured everything into that. I mean, you just went. We just went through a lot in in Kentucky. Um, a lot of good things, a lot of very difficult things, and so it was it was hard. All all but one of our children were born there, um, so that's what they knew. Uh, Georgia, uh, Georgia was a little bit of a, a struggle, but they made uh, they made friends there. Uh, my wife, when Henry started going to school, she started getting back into teaching, and so she was a, a substitute teacher and then a para in the public schools. Um, and then when we moved here, most of the kids were already at prep, so um, I think the girls the girls were not at prep yet, um, but they've they've made friends and they've made good friends wherever we've lived. Um, And so I'm just thankful for that.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, and then Paul, I'm sure, I'm sure your family probably missed this too of leaving Radcliffe and that there aren't too many cities that decorate their city with a tank. (laughs) Just having, having a couple of tanks out there in the city. And then, you know, being able to have to fix the pictures on your wall all the time because of the tanks at Fort Knox, uh, firing and it just shake the whole house. Or I don't know if you went golfing on Fort Knox and then one of the golf courses, uh, they're on post, you hit and you go, you know, say it was a power five and it's over a hill. When you get to the other side of the hill, uh, in most golf courses, when it's a blind shot off the, off the tee, you ring a bell, but not on Fort Knox, you're hitting a shell casing. <laughs> yes so and, a very unique place and that one
2: that one hole the uh, fairway went right along the fence to the depository
1: you're right all uh, right there yeah yeah you so everyone talks about fort knox and the gold in fort knox but you can't get anywhere close to no, that everything place. about
2: everything about that place says just stay away
1: don't 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 even try <laughs> yeah and when i was at fort knox you know, I was on base a lot, and I never even thought of it being about the gold. It's all about the military, about the Army that's there. Yeah. So so with that, Paul, why don't you talk, too, about your role also with uh, the military still today in the Wells? Sure.
2: Uh, when we were at Fort Knox, we, I, I had established a good re- working relationship with a lot of the Army chaplains, uh, to the point where when families would call me, like a mom or a dad would call and say, hey, Johnny's in basic training, could you go see him? And I'd be able to call the basic training chaplain and schedule a time at 0500 on Sunday morning. I was able to walk right into the barracks and have a devotion with uh, their son or daughter, um, give him communion, uh, let them know it was gonna be okay. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And then my brother-in-law, and wife were stationed there and lived three blocks from our house and he deployed twice out of fort knox and he taught me a lot about the military um gave me a lot of fun experiences on on fort knox like uh, shooting all sorts of crazy guns (laughs) uh at, at the range there and then i had a neighbor too jonathan Bettel and his wife janelle um he they lived three doors down from us and we would sit on my front porch and sip good Kentucky bourbon. And he would ask me about what's, what is life like as a pastor? And I asked him about the military. Um, So because of that, just knowing your community and knowing your people, I just really got involved in military ministry. And when Joel Yeager's term uh, expired, he was the, the chairman of Wells military ministry. uh, They asked me and said, we, you know, we would like you to be the, the chairman of this committee now. So, um, so I've been doing that for the last, I think like 12 years, I've been the chairman of Wells, uh, military services committee.
1: So what does that entail? What, what is Wells military services?
2: Yeah. So Wells military services is a ministry of the Wisconsin Synod. Uh, we, uh, our, our mission is to make God's word and sacrament available to all of our active duty reserve and guard troops and their families, wherever they are in the world. Uh, So to do that, we have a chaplain in Europe, and we have a chaplain here in the United States. Um, So, when our troops are stationed in Europe, our chaplain there will drive around Europe, all those different places, and have worship uh, services and give them communion, Uh, catechize their kids, uh, all all of those all the things that a pastor does. Our stateside chaplain uh, is uh, Chaplain Zemer, and he does a lot of counseling with our troops. He helps equip pastors that serve churches located near military installations. And that's a lot of our work too, is we provide resources for our pastors that are located near military installations so they can better understand the the military mindset, um, being able to provide uh, resources for them. Uh, One of the things that we do is we have an annual military contact pastors workshop. Uh, This past year we were in Savannah, Georgia, right by Fort Stewart, and we had interaction with the chaplains there on on post. And then we bring speakers in to talk about what family life is like in the military, how our pastors can better understand that and better serve our our troops and their families. Uh, We also provide resources for our troops and their families. And we one of the things that we do is we reach students in high school already. So if we call all of our Wells High Schools in the spring and the prep schools and ask the campus pastors or guidance counselors, hey, do you have any students thinking about going into the military? And if they do, we travel to those high schools and we talk to those students about, hey, this is what you can expect when you go into the military. These are the resources that we have for you. And by the way, there's this thing called uh, religious accommodation so that when you get to wherever it is that you're going to basic training, you can tell your commanding officer, um, we, we call it the magic words sheet, that these are the right words to say to your commanding officer, so that the, clo- the closest Wells pastor can come on base or on post, have a devotion with you, give you communion, have access uh, to, you, to you to provide spiritual needs. Um, so one of the, One of our military contact pastor workshops, we were out in San Diego, California, and the pastor out there, Paul Schultz, he was able to have contact with the chaplain there at the training depot where our Marines are trained. And a Missouri Senate chaplain had left, and this chaplain reached out to him and said, hey, we don't have a Lutheran chaplain here anymore. How do you feel about leading a Lutheran service on base in our chapel? And you can make it wisconsin synod lutheran close community you know whatever you need to do but we we need a service Hmm. um and so he said yes and so he leads a service on on base and he gets 60 to 70 every time he leads a service and um because he has he has that relationship with that chaplain and one of our prep students went out there for basic training and said to his commanding officer, Hey, I want my Wells pastor in San Diego to come. Um, and so that relationship was,
1: uh, was brought about by that as well. So, well, so that's how that, it works. Yeah, that's awesome. And what you were saying there, Paul, about the the chaplain or the pastor being able to go on post and be able to do a well service. Uh, we had a mom's hot lunch at our early childhood campus today for school. And, uh, so the moms are providing pizza and broccoli and so forth. But one of the moms was wearing her wearing her school's Catholic T-shirt because mm-hmm. even though she's a member of Water of Life, she's teaching preschool over there. But she she whispered to me, she goes, "I'm they don't check on my religious teaching, so I'm teaching them the Wells Lutheran way." <laughs> so so I love that that she's she's on in a Catholic school giving these Catholic kids Lutheranism. Awesome. There's one, there's one thing I
2: need to, our hearers to, um, to pay attention to is if you have a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter or a niece or a nephew that's going into the military or is already in the military, uh, refer them to us. Uh, and all they, all they have to do is go to wells.net slash refer. Uh, so wells.net slash refer. And there's a a form there that they fill out, send us your information so that we can contact them and let them know, Hey, we have spiritual resources for you, wherever you're stationed around the world. And if you're in a place where the closest Wells church is like an hour away, we'll get you in touch with the other Wells families there um, so that you can get together with them. But yeah, that's the biggest thing is we, we should have more names um, and we just don't.
1: Yeah, and I appreciate that because I would encourage our listeners to do the same thing with their uh, kids that are in college because that's oh, yes. what I spent yes. last week Sunday through Wednesday contacting all of our Water of Life students that are uh, in college or just graduated college, and then contacting their uh, you know, the, the wells and putting all their contact information in so that they can get receive free. Uh, digital or print forward in christ uh, magazines and meditations devotions and then i set them all up with their campus pastors and i i this year i actually texted them and said which church are you going to and i put it right on them Uh, and then uh, i contacted the pastors too and said here is the contact information please contact them uh, because you, we're just going to lose the kids otherwise. And I think, I think we can talk about that as we apply uh, the scripture lessons in this as well. So, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson? Sure.
0: Today's gospel that
1: we'll study is Luke chapter 14,
0: beginning with verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, if he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, everyone who sees it will begin to ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, as he goes out to confront another king in war, will not first sit down and consider if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. And if he is not able, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace while his opponent is still far away. So then, any one of you who does not say farewell to all his own possessions cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how will it become salty again? It is not fit for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear.
1: So, Jeremy, does Jesus really want us to hate our parents, our brothers, our sisters, and our children? Or what is he really getting at here?
0: Yes, he, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I just read his words, and he was pretty clear on it. Um, he says, "Hate." Now, if you want to talk about what, what does he mean by hate? Um, that, that I suppose that's another just another discussion, but uh, it, it's kind of like that one where Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And then we turn around when, you know, I, I've, I've heard even pastors do this, but, you know, we, we talk about that Bible passage and say, well, Jesus doesn't want us to take him literally here. Yeah, Yes, he does. He always wants us to take his words literally. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, when he's saying hate, he's, he, means, he means hate. Uh, but uh, in what sense does he mean hate? Um, I think that's more what you're getting at right
1: yeah so what is what does it mean then if it's not that because obviously Jesus isn't telling us to have a wicked and sinful hatred toward our our family members so what I, what I always, does he mean I always think of um,
0: the way that that family members can be so petty with each other and I'm sure I'm guilty of this so if if I have any relatives or family that are listening uh, I apologize, but I, I know family can be this way with each other. They can they can say, well, you know, if if you don't do this thing or that thing that I want you to do, then, then you must hate me. Or why do you hate me? And they can even play kind of mental games with each other like that. And uh, it, I, I kind of think that's maybe what Jesus is getting at here is that, no, you don't really hate your family members, but if they are perceiving the way that you prioritize him and his word above them and what they want, then uh, they may interpret that as hate. And then uh, he says, okay, that's very appropriate. Yes, you, you hate them. If, you, if they're going to make you choose between me, that is Jesus, and them, then uh, if you really want to call yourself my disciple, you need to hate them.
1: Yeah, and I think what you said there is an important word, that prioritize, Uh, because in my studying of this, uh, it it really struck me that uh, the word hate is really talking about a sense of less love. And for that, looking at Genesis 29, verse 31, where it talks about how the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. Uh, quite literally that the Lord saw that Leah was hated because Jacob loved his other wife, Rachel more. And so uh, less loved. And that's what, that's what Jesus is getting at here. So then Paul, what motivates us as Christians to hate our families, to give up everything for Jesus to prioritize Sam above everything else?
2: I read a, commentary this week that said when I I realized that nothing can come, nothing can come before Jesus because nothing lasts beyond the grave except Jesus. And so if, if I'm looking at my relationship with my family members and my relationship with Christ and his word, and I see that my relationship with my family is, is prioritized over my relationship with Christ. I got to ask myself what, you know, what, uh, what is it that lasts longer? Uh, it's my relationship with Christ. Now being in a family that's, that's all Christ centered. They're part of that too. Um, so they're part of a bigger picture that, that we belong to God's family, which is more important than, Earthly families. Um, so, what motivates us to to love Christ more than our families? Well, I think when I look at the rest of the the rest of the the words of Christ here too, is to see that this whole this whole thought of uh, not thought this truth that I must bear my cross. I, I don't do that very well, but Christ has done that for me. Christ is my cross bear. He's the one who's loved family more than me um loved loved his- w- i'm sorry, I misspoke there. Jesus loved his word more than his own family even uh loved his word more than his possessions uh, i'm I'm gonna do that too then
1: Someone sent me this you quote misspeak, this- you misspeak, like
0: you didn't misspeak even with the fourth commandment you certainly did love his family more perfectly than I love my family. So that that's part of
1: honoring God and prioritizing him above all else.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well said.
1: Uh, One of my members had sent me a quote this week and I said, I'm going to use that in my sermon, which I did. Uh, It's from St. Augustine. He puts it succinctly. Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. And I think that that says it very well. So uh, Jeremy and Paul, when Jesus says, uh, whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So how would you talk about that, Jeremy, to high schoolers? And then, you know, like what kind of crosses might they have to carry as Christian teenagers? And then Paul, the same thing more with soldiers. And I'll talk about kind of with college students. So Jeremy first, what about high schoolers and carrying their cross?
0: Pointing out that uh, we're always being with every sin or every temptation, we're always being pulled in the direction of disbelieving God, uh, calling calling His word a lie, uh, uh, not trusting that He will take care of us, and so uh, whatever that's that's really what the cross is. Whatever the particular manifestation of that um, with uh, with high schoolers is. Um, I suppose I would just point out how they, they like to complain a lot, um, that, uh, that, that life is awful for them. And, uh, and so I, I would, I would say, you know, you know how that feels that, that you just kind of have to slog through life and you don't really like going to school or, or putting up with, uh, the stupid people around you. Uh, and yet you still have to be polite to them anyway. Um, that's that's kind of the cross right there what would make it especially the cross is that you are doing it because you are familiar with your savior jesus and uh you you want to do it for his sake otherwise it's not it's not just general suffering in life that's the cross uh but specifically uh enduring hardships because uh jesus is your savior
1: and you love him thanks and paul what about our, our soldiers, our men and women in the military, what kind of crosses might they have to deal with? You know, the, uh, the
2: army, army slogan, I don't know if it's still the same one now as it, as it was the past few years, but, arm, you know, army strong. And that is a mentality and a culture within that, that particular branch, but with all the branches in the military. This is who you, you're strong uh, physically, mentally, and when, when things difficult things come into your life, whether it's uh, you were deployed and you saw things and did things or failed to do things that that men and women should not have to endure, um, and you come back from that and you're like, I'm not Army Strong anymore, uh, but you're you're told to have that and it's the, the cross then is I have to admit that I am not strong and that I have to rely on someone that is not me. I have to go outside of myself. I have to, to trust and rely on, on God. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's one of the ones that's, that's most difficult because in my experience that uh, army families Marine Corps families, Coast Guard, whoever, they will not ask for help uh, because they are taught to be, it's just that culture. We are independent. We are um, self-sufficient. And so to ask for help shows, uh, shows some sign of, kind of weakness. And, uh, but that's the cross is to cling to, oh. cling to Christ and say, I, I, need, I need help.
1: Yeah, we're talking about army slogans. I, I heard that before too with the, the one of the previous slogans of an army of one. And it doesn't go so well when you're an army of one and you're by yourself as opposed to that uh, understanding that you are actually together with with others. You need that unity that comes together. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, you were saying something? I, I just
0: wanted to... To mention that, I think there's probably a lot of overlap between uh, Michael's question about high schoolers and uh, and military families in the uh, area of mental health. Mm-hmm. That uh, that that's probably part of bearing the cross as well too. Um, is that uh, is that something that you found do you do a lot of counseling?
2: I did. Uh, it's it's amazing that no matter where God has placed me in these different calls, I left Kentucky where it was, I mean, you'd walk into Walmart and troops were wearing their ACUs or BDUs. Um, And you didn't really see that in, in Georgia, there was a reserve air base there, but so you did see some airmen in uniform, but it was more, more running into veterans and having conversations with them or reserve uh, troops. And, but here too, in Indiana, um, I have a, a prospect who was in the Marine Corps and deployed twice, and he saw something. Something happened uh, to him. Uh, IED went off and um, killed somebody that that he knew and respected, and and he he's been dealing with that for a long time. So, yeah, that is uh, that is something that
1: mental health is a is a big thing in the military. Yes. And there, I'm thinking, too, about uh, with the college students of uh, my daughter, Lydia, who's a sophomore at the University of Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, She texted me yesterday that she has a history professor. This is now only the second day of classes, and this history professor has said that Adam and and Eve lived 125,000 years ago. And that was the first thing. And then today she called and we were talking and she gets all fired up, which is awesome. And she said, I I don't think I'm going to agree with anything this professor says, because I think he's going to start getting into evolution. And eventually since I'm one of the few students that actually raises my hand and answer questions, I'm going to challenge him on this. And I said, you go Lydia. But she said, this is the fear of Christians in a Uh, an environment like that, she said, I'm just afraid of what's going to happen. And so that's one of the things that I counsel our college students and our, and their parents on is, you know, what are you going to do when you're faced with that in college? Are you going to keep your head down and your mouth shut and try and get the grade and get out? But is that really going to be healthy for you of keeping your faith quiet and under wraps for four years? Or are you just going to be bold and stand up for your faith, understanding that you know the, the mob, the woke mob, and so forth, they're going to come after you. And yet you're going to, uh, that, that may be the cross that you're asked to bear. Mm-hmm. And then Christ will give you the strength to be able to carry that. So, uh, Jeremy, what is, uh, verses 28 through 33, when Jesus is talking about, hating your family, carrying across. Why does he start talking about tower building and going to war? What's, what's all that planning talk, talking about? Oh, you're on mute again.
0: Uh, the, it could possibly be saying something about um, planning, but it seems more likely that uh, the planning that it's talking about is recognizing the challenges that are going to come with uh, calling yourself a follower of Christ. I, I was thinking at the beginning of the reading how uh, it said large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So this was obviously a time of popularity for him uh, that, that a lot of people were uh, his followers. But um, even if you look at church history after the Bible was written, um, sometimes it was some of the worst times for uh, believers when, thing, when the church was booming and, and uh, exploding with growth um, because uh, nobody was being taught, uh, nobody was being instructed in, in depth in any kind of a way. And so he's, he's saying, basically, don't just follow me because uh, the crowd is following me. Don't just follow me because you think it's cool and popular. Um, you need to recognize that I'm, frankly, he's saying, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to war against you. He's the other king that's coming against you. Uh, this is how uh, he talks in, uh, in Psalm 110. He says, rule in the midst of your enemies. Uh, the, the Psalm writer David says, uh, God, please rule in the midst of your enemies. And, and Martin Luther talks about that being what we're really praying in the um, second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. We're saying, God, will you please uh, take your army of, of words and conquer my heart? Just march in there and uh, take over more influence of my life. And that's uh, that's really what he's he's getting at with uh, this war analogy and, and with the tower. Um if, if, you, you know, if you're going to take it upon yourself to build the church, um, maybe that's why it's good that uh, one of you was the one who started the congregation. And then the other one was the, uh, the, the building project guy, because uh, that takes a lot of work. It, there's a
2: cost to it, too. You see that I'm losing hair. <laughs> that, that's part of the, That was from the building project.
0: So did you, so did you count the cost ahead of time? (laughs) You said it will be worth, it will be worth my full head of hair to. Right. So I don't know. Does uh, that, does that get at what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. uh, I'm preaching on this lesson this Sunday. And I I told people in Bible study that I'm pretty sure that in in the history of pastors preaching on this text, they've never had, the theme that I have, and it's on the theme is post-traumatic growth. And what that theme comes from is that, you know, as we talked about with the military, oftentimes there's post-traumatic stress disorder, but that can also affect almost anyone, you know, like you would say normal people when they have suffered the loss of uh, a loved one and that's close in a family when they have Uh, suffered a loss or even a recovery then with breast cancer or a heart attack uh, when they've been displaced because of a storm or a war uh, that it can cause trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder. And yet a book I was reading this last week also mentioned that those same kind of events that can cause uh, a disorder and stress, those same traumatic events can cause traumatic growth. So like, a husband that has lost his family because of his alcoholism, now he's there every week at AA meetings trying to help other men so they don't lose their families. Or a lady that has been raped. And, and this happened with one of my members uh, that she was raped while on spring break. And now uh, she she helps other young ladies who have suffered that trauma. Or maybe a young lady that while she was scared, And young and didn't know any better when she had an abortion. And now she understands that was life that she took from her child. And she's the biggest pro advocate for life and helping other young ladies so that that can cause growth. And that's what I want to get at with this text with Jesus tells us ahead of time these are the things that are going to happen to you. You're going to have your family separate from you. You're going to have to carry a cross. You're going to have to understand the cost, but we pray that the Holy spirit is going to cause that to bring growth in us, a growth in our faith, a growth in our family's faith, and then overall a growth in God's kingdom. Last question I have on this, uh, Paul, he's talking about again, uh, hating your family and carrying a cross and building plans. Why does he talk about salt at the end saying salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how will it become salty again? What does yeah. that have to do with a discussion on discipleship?
2: Yeah, I'm in my sermon. I'm going to ask that same question. I'm going to go through, go through all these things. and like, what's the deal with salt here at the end? And uh, just understanding historical context in Jesus' day, salt was a preservative, um, not so much for flavoring food, uh, but but as a preservative, and it can be used to season food. And the other thing too, I I didn't know this till a member at Faith in Radcliffe said this. You probably know who I'm going to talk about here. He said salt also kills yeast, uh, which I didn't know. Steve Reinheimer. Oh, he would. Yeah, he would know that. Yeah, yeah. He baked German pastries for us all the time. Anyway. So if you have, if salt were to lose that ability to pre as a preservative into seasoned food, it's useless. You got to throw it out. Um, So the same is true if if family ties, uh, the burden of the cross possessions that hinders people from becoming disciples, they will be like tasteless salt and ought to be thrown out. And, and Jesus alludes to this earlier. He says, you are salt. So be salt. Um, but if these things get in the way, then you're not salty anymore and you should be thrown out.
1: And your mention of Steve Reinheimer reminds me of this, Paul. So I, I remember one of the crosses I had to carry uh, when I was pastor down in Radcliffe, Kentucky. Because what was interesting there was the amount of German ladies that we had uh. in our congregation. <laughs> I
2: think I know you're going with this. <laughs> yeah,
1: and that, uh, so it was interesting. So what happens is our young soldiers go overseas, they're stationed in Germany, and then they meet a young lady over there and they marry her and bring her back when now she's in the States. Uh, and they like to hear the German language, their mother tongue. And so uh, several years into my ministry there, uh, we worked with our Evangelism Chairman Steve that we mentioned, who was fluent in German, and we started German worship services once a month. And Steve would do the liturgy, and I would preach in German. And yet, I had four years of German in high school, but high school German really. So I'm sorry, Jeremy. Maybe you're a better teacher. I, I don't. I'm sure it wasn't the teacher. It was the student that I didn't pick up much. And I preached and I had no clue what I was doing. I just read one of our uh, sermons that we pull off the internet from our sister church over in Germany. And then the German ladies would be sitting there giggling at my pronunciations. Yeah. This sounds all very
2: familiar. And they would fight oh. over how to pronounce because oh. if you are from the South, you would say it this way. If you're from, Central Germany you said this way. If, you said, if you're from the north, and you said this way, and they would sit there and fight at the dinner after the service. Like, oh. no,
1: pastor, you should you should pronounce it this way. <laughs>
2: like, oh, oh my see, goodness!
1: <laughs> I didn't know that. What they did is they just laughed at me, and I and I would say, well, if the German language didn't stuff a whole sentence into one word, it would make it a whole lot easier to pronounce these words. <laughs> so I don't know, Jeremy, if you want to defend the German language because Paul. Uh, Jeremy is the German teacher at Shoreline Lutheran High School. He should have been the guy that was preaching in German. Every, everything you said is pretty accurate. Okay. <laughs> uh,
0: it is interesting, though. I did uh, go down once and preach at a, a Wells church in Tennessee that is by a military base. That uh, Same thing. A lot of the servicemen would uh, marry german ladies and bring them back and they had so many that they had a german service uh i think twice a year
2: yeah that's fort campbell by clarksville yep yep
1: anything else you guys want to bring up with the gospel lesson okay uh jeremy you want to read the epistle lesson because i think this is kind of unique because i don't think we get into reading philemon too often in the scripture lessons for worship Yeah, one of the interesting things is uh, so many of the letters, the
0: epistles in the New Testament are written to a whole group of people. And this is written from Paul to just one uh, individual, Philemon. So I'll read verse 1 and then verses 7 through 21. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, For I have received great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. For that reason, even though I have plenty of boldness in Christ to order you to do what is proper, I'm appealing to you instead on the basis of love. Just as I, Paul, am an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I'm appealing to you on behalf of my child, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. There was a time when he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. Welcome him. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might serve me in your place while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that your kindness would not be the result of compulsion, but of willingness." Perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a while, so that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as more than a slave, as a dear brother. He certainly is dear to me, but he is, he is even more, dear, more of a dear brother to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, have written this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Yes, brother, I am asking for a favor from you in the Lord. Refresh refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask.
1: So, Jeremy, you want to give our listeners some background on where Paul is and why he's writing this letter to Philemon? Yes. Uh, this
0: um, man named Enesimus was a, a servant in the household of Philemon. And Philemon was a wealthy Christian uh, convert, which is kind of strange, actually, if you think about it. Most of the Christian converts were the lower classes of society in, in the early Christian church and um, either slaves or, or uh foreigners women um people that were looked down upon and um philemon was actually kind of a more uh upper crust kind of a guy and he had he had workers in his household and onesimus worked for him but then ran away and uh paul was in in rome i think that do i have that right yes he was in prison he was in in prison yep okay and uh was, it, was this his house arrest where he had a little more freedom? He could move around? Um, I, I think so. It, it, w- it, would, it would make sense because how, do, how does Onesimus just happen upon a guy that's locked up in a jail cell deep in some dark dungeon? So it was more of a house arrest. And um, Paul, uh, as, as he loved to do, shared Jesus with Onesimus and uh, built a relationship with him. And uh, then found out about the backstory that Onesimus was a runaway slave, and uh, actually sent Onesimus back with this letter, telling Philemon, um, "How about you let me? Uh, how about you let me uh, keep building my relationship with Onesimus?" And and that's what he's saying in the part I read about. I don't want to compel you. I don't want to tell you you have to do this, but uh, I, I bet I bet you're going to.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I love it in that he does pull some heartstrings because he says, you know, Philemon, you kind of owe me a little bit because of me. Uh you were converted and now you're a leader in the congregation. And by God's grace, Onesimus, while he was with me, now he was converted, and now he's a brother in the gospel with me and with you. So I'm um, based on that. Why don't you send him back? right? So, so Paul, what caused paul joy when he thought about philemon
2: uh just list off all the descriptors paul uses for philemon a brother dear friend a fellow worker a fellow soldier uh the church meets in his home Uh, he calls him a partner a helper while he was in chains for the gospel it just it, it just bleeds off the page, this pastoral love and care that he has for Philemon, this brotherly love that he has for him.
1: And what's interesting, too, is understanding that uh, Onesimus is more than a servant. He is a slave, and he's run away. And Roman law allowed a slave master, a slave owner, to treat his slaves harshly if they did this, even put them to death. To kind of prevent this from happening to other slaves from doing the same thing, so what is Paul appealing to then, Jeremy, that Philemon doesn't do do that of treat Onesimus harshly, yeah, to,
0: to to mercy uh, on the basis of love, he says in verse three, in verse eight. Uh, no, I'm sorry, that's nine. Uh, I'm appealing to you instead on the basis of love. Um, He is uh, asking him to think about how, how Jesus really took on the role of the servant, uh, the lowest uh, possible role of any human being, being the one to bear our sin Um, that really lowered him. And uh, because uh, Christ was so willing to lower himself like that, then, um, it shouldn't. Oh, uh, Philemon shouldn't consider it beneath himself to also treat Onesimus with mercy, um, just as as God has been merciful
1: to us. So you're right that he talks about love and he appeals to love. So then, Paul, why is an appeal to Christians' love always more effective than an arbitrary demand? The
2: the demand arbitrary demand. That's. Motivated by law, Um, maybe you just do it out of compulsion or or guilt, but Christ's love compels us to act this way. Um, So, yeah, an appeal to Christian a Christian's love is always more effective,
1: um, because at its heart is is Christ. So, last question I have for you guys is maybe to think about someone like this that Anismus conversion was the result of Paul sharing the gospel with with him. And now he is serviceable, or he he is providing a wonderful service to Paul in his old age while he's in prison. Uh, And more than that, they've become dear friends. First, Jeremy, and then Paul, can you guys think of times in your ministry of someone who has become very dear to you because the Lord allowed you to share the gospel with him or her or with them as a family? And don't just say yes, Jeremy. Um,
0: there, there's, there's some kind of play of words. I remember somebody saying about um, the name Onesmus, that it, it, it sounds similar. or It's even the same thing as the word in Greek for useless, like uh, that, that it's, you know, somebody who's, who's an absolute uh, slacker. And, and that kind of seems to be the idea here. And then, um, that's why you know Paul. Then he says, "Now he is useful to, to me." Um, yeah, you're asking about uh, somebody that I that I've shared the gospel with, and then has become dear to me. Um, I I suppose I could uh, mention um, names like uh, Leo and Sonia, um, that neither of whom were slackers are are useless uh they're they're just uh people that i i didn't know from adam and then uh when when you tell them about jesus um and uh build a relationship in christ suddenly they are uh, as close uh, as family members uh, and as dear to you uh when before that you you didn't you didn't know anything about them
1: paul how about you can you think of someone that you've shared the gospel with
2: Yeah. uh, This has happened more than once, but uh, a Vietnam vet that came up to me and he said, Pastor, I don't know if I could step foot in church because I'm pretty sure lightning would strike. And I said, well, I'll stand right next to you then so that it (laughs) hits both of us. And he came and um, after church, I kind of jokingly stood right next to him. And I said, Hey, we're both still here. Uh, but he, he had a pretty, he kind of laughed and, but he had a pretty serious look on his face. And he said, I, I'm afraid. Um, I'm afraid that I've, I've lost my faith. And I said, the fact that you're here and you're asking me that question tells me that you, that you haven't, uh, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Um, so then to be able to take him through Bick and, just, uh, all the things that he had done in Vietnam, um, that all that's forgiven, uh, all that guilt that he was hanging on to that, uh, be able to take him to the cross again and again and say, just let Christ bleed all over that. Um, he's your guilt. He's set you free. Uh, he
1: was, yeah. 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 And there, since we mentioned Steve's name before, I'll mention him again. So uh, he was one of the first people uh, that God brought into our church when I was down in Radcliffe because we had a base of like fifteen members when I was there. But he wasn't one of them, and I'm not sure how how we connected. I think it was through phone canvassing. You know, I always describe phone canvassing as you know soul sucking. And and I I appreciate that we don't we don't do that anymore. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, but I think he came through through that, and then you know the Lord blessed him with his faith after uh, the adult confirmation class. He was our evangelism chairman. Always had lots of energy. Always brought lots of food uh, because once a month we would have potlucks, and Steve would bring us chili, and it was a special chili because. He, he made sure real chili does not have noodles in it and his would have cactus leaves in it. But then through Steve, he brought his, his son and daughter, his brother, Chris, and his children. I still remember baptizing all three of them one day, along with another family of four children. Uh, and just the way Steve was a, a leader in our church. And and I bring it up too, because Uh, Well, I'm holding a call right now to another church, and I think of Steve's words whenever I'm I'm holding a call because usually people are telling you to stay at the church. You you kind of wonder about the people that tell you to go. Thankfully, I haven't had too many people tell me over the years to go, but Steve was one of them, but not because he was tired of me being there. He said, you know, pastor, you need to take this call because you've outgrown this one. And that was pretty powerful to say, you know, God, because I got to to Radcliffe and I had no clue what I was doing as a pastor. And yet, you know, God blessed me over those eight years to be uh, be able to come to a much larger church that had a lot of issues at that time. And Steve was exactly right. So, uh, and I thank God for, for someone like that. And, and that's why I want to encourage our listeners Uh, As you hear the epistle lesson this Sunday and you hear the words that Paul uses to describe Philemon and Onesimus, think of those people whom God has used you to share the gospel with. If it's your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, others in the church or whatever, and then thank God for them. Anything else you guys want to bring up with this lesson? Okay. All right, well, then we'll finish it up here. This is Michael Zeiling with Paul Horn and out like a lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.